You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the Brandy Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Brandstatter, and this is my podcast. We'll get together every week to talk about football, primarily the University of Michigan Wolverines and the Big Ten Conference, with occasional forays into the national picture. We'll also keep up with the Detroit Lions and the NFL. Along the way, we'll have some surprises. We'll certainly have some fun guests and take a tangent or two that has nothing to do with football, like old movies or cooking. Who knows what? Sit back and relax and enjoy. The Brandy Show. I don't like having that thing. Hi, everybody! It's a special Brandy Show tonight. We are at Carl's Cabin in Plymouth, and we have a live audience, and we are absolutely thrilled to be here. And I want you guys out there that have sold the place out, thank you very much. And let me hear it go blue. Go blue! All right, this is all about Michigan Ohio State on the Brandy Show this week. Our guests. Uh, legendary, venerable coach Jerry Hanlon, uh, offensive lineman, two-time captain John Jansen, and Bob Thornblade. Uh, if you don't know Blade, he was a coach at Michigan for a lot of years with Coach Schembechler. He also played football there and played in the National Football League for a year. He was such an athlete that he left Michigan as a fullback and played middle linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's the kind of athlete Bob Thornblade was. For 72 years, Sessy Lincoln has been proud to represent the finest brand in the automotive industry, sold to the most discerning customers. And now the superior style and elegance of Lincoln is offered in a personalized black label luxury experience featuring beautifully crafted designs and exclusive VIP membership privileges. Find out more by visiting Sessy Lincoln at 3990 Jackson Road in Ann Arbor or online at sessylincoln.com. We are now welcoming... Jerry Hanlon here, and I want to have your hands together for this guy. Jerry Hanlon came with Bo Schembechler to Michigan from 1969. Wait a minute. Bo came with me. You should have known better that my show was going to get usurped and stolen in the first 15 seconds. Anyway, Jerry was a halfback at Miami University. In 53 to 55, and he played under Era Parsegian, the legendary coach that Notre Dame ultimately got. Jerry was a halfback on Era's uh, teams back in 53, 4, and 5. He was a high school coach. Then he went on to be an assistant football coach at Dayton, then to Miami, where he met Bo Schembechler. Of course, they came to Michigan, or, you know, Schembechler came with Hanlon, and, uh, they started what is still going on today. Jerry, first of all, it's great to have you. Well, thank you, Jimmy. It's nice to be here. and What a great group of people. It's nice to be able to, when you talk, I talk on a microphone, but I don't have people looking at me, so it's kind of, <laughs> kind of scary for me out here. <laughs> well, it's, it's Michigan-Ohio State game, and we want to be our focus on that. But for you, uh, Bo and Woody became such a 10-year war iconic pair in this deal. Back to your day, you were hired by Bo at Miami. How did you get to know Coach Schembechler? Well, he's a Miami man also. Actually, we were on the freshman football team together at Miami, and what happened was that I went into service and had to fulfill my obligation, and then I came back, 
and he is ready to graduate when I was coming back as a freshman. So we got to know each other a little bit from that standpoint. But he was from Barberton, Ohio. And of course, uh, Dick Hunter, who was on our staff, was from Barberton. So those, those guys hang together. So I got to know them all. So, uh, that's where we first met. But then when he became a coach at Ohio State, he recruited my high school football players. And so we got to know each other a little bit going around. But as far as did I know him, not until after I got hired by him. <laughs> well, you coached a couple years with him at Miami, and then you came to Michigan in 69. When you and Bo and the rest of those guys, Larry Smith, Jim Young, Dick Hunter, Gary Moeller, when you guys came up with Bo, what were you thinking when you took over a sleeping giant in the Michigan football program? Well, we knew we were coming to a place that had the greatest tradition you could ask for as far as football was concerned. So we were very anxious to come here. And then after we got here, we wondered why. <laughs> uh, we walked into Yo's Fieldhouse, and I said, where do we dress? And they put us in a room there, and the room was a brick room, and they had two-by-fours nailed to the wall. And there was a nail in the two-by-four. That was my locker at, at, my, <laughs> at Michigan. And I thought, oh, my God, I thought we were moving a little bit up in the world, but you began to wonder. Is it true, the story, that when you guys were looking around and you saw the nail in the wall and you were all kind of going, hey, wait a minute, what's this all about? That Bo looked at you all and said, men, that's the same nail Fielding Yost used. He, he hung his jock on there just like you did. <laughs> and that's exactly true. No, you just got a feeling when you came on this campus, Jim. I had never, I had been here as a high school coach bringing kids up to games. But as far as being around the campus and getting up, you had a feeling you came to the right place. And uh, when you meet the people and be honest with you, Bump Elliott left us a really good group of young men. And so to see them, uh, how they reacted to us, and they could have all left town, a few did, but they could have all left town and they didn't. They stayed with us and gave us everything they had. So it was a, a wonderful way to get started uh, at Michigan. Well, that 69 season really set the tone for, I think, the next 40 or 50 years. Uh, and the one thing people may not remember, after five games in the 69 season, we were three and two. We were not lighting the world on fire. And there became, at that point, a small change. And after that, we were almost unbeatable. Do you remember when that change took back when you were coaching? I, no, I don't remember which game it was. I know what happened when I knew we were going to beat Ohio State, though. But didn't it happen against Minnesota? We were down at half. We were up on the road, and we thought Bo was going to kill us. You, you were going to kill us in the locker room. And neither of you got mad or yelled or screamed. You just said, man, you're better than this. And, and we all kind of said, you know, they're right. And from that moment on, I think that was the best motivation you've ever given any of us was in that locker room at Minnesota. Well, I hope we did something right. <laughs> but the fact is that that group of kids and, and how they reacted – and after that, they just, we played really well. But I remember playing at Iowa, and we kicked Iowa's tail out there. It was a good football team. And when we came off that field, that you couldn't keep the kids. They were going, oh, get O State, get State, we're going to get State. And I said to Bo, Bo, they're getting too high too soon. Bo said, you can't get too high for Ohio State. <laughs> And so I, we let them go, and, and uh, it, it just carried over. I knew that right after that game, I said, we're going to win this game. And that was the other thing. You and the team, we were the only people that knew we were going to win that game. When did you really say, after Iowa, this team has got it to beat what many people were calling the best college football team ever assembled? Now, that's what they said. They were the best team in the history of college football. But I don't know how you can measure that. You can't measure what's inside a kid, Jimmy, unless you play with them, unless you're with them, unless you're around them. 
And I was around you guys. I was around these kids. I could see where they were going and what they were going to do. And uh, it was one of the great experiences of my life. And somebody said, what's the greatest game you ever coached? And there were so many of them. But I think the 69 game, you got to say, was right up there with the best. And did that game. And you stayed on the Michigan staff until 1991. And you've been around Michigan ever 92. since. 92. 92, excuse me. <laughs> but And you've been around Michigan. You are uh, a revered figure. I revere you. You're the best offensive line coach, I believe, in the world ever. And yet you get mad at me for saying that because you also coached quarterbacks pretty well. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh was one of your quarterbacks that yeah. you coached, right? Well, nobody else could handle him. You had to give him <laughs> to me. <you> know? <laughs> No, yes, I did have the opportunity to coach Leach a little bit and then and Jimmy Harbaugh. And did you know at the time, though, in that 69 game when that whole thing happened, that this thing was going to snowball and that you had a real tiger by its tail for the next 20 to 30 years? Well, I, I thought that this was one of the great jobs in the country. And if I can stay here for uh, a few years that I would kind of be happy. But to say that I made my life at the University of Michigan, that's what really happened because uh, not only did I end up uh, coaching here, but I was able to hang around the university after I retired from coaching and met an awful lot of great people who were not only football players, but alumni and people of that nature. So it was a carryover for me and uh, Michigan probably has been the biggest influence on my life. You also are a student of the game and have been forever. And you're going to turn a round birthday here pretty soon, aren't you? <laughs> How old are you going to be next birthday? Oh, do I have to say? Yes, you do. I'll be 90 years old. And I will tell you this, nobody is more sharp, nobody gets it better than Coach Jerry Hanlon. Follows the game from back in 1969 when it was a different game than it is today. And worse. (laughs) (laughs) Why is it worse? Well, I don't know, Jimmy. I I look at it from this standpoint. I think there's an awful lot of people out there in the game of football today who their idea is that they're going to out-coach the other coach. And by doing that, they're lining up in different formations and they're running motions back and forth. And they're trying to create those kind of uh, differences so that you might fool the other guy. My idea to win football is you teach your kids to block and tackle better than the other team blocks and tackles and you're going to win. And I think, in his heart of hearts, Jim Harbaugh has that philosophy kind of going on. He stresses fundamentals, doesn't he? What do you think of this version of Michigan football in 2018? They're getting better. (laughs) (laughs) Really, they're doing a good job. If you look at that staff and see how they work with the kids, I go down to practice still once in a while, and, and you see the type of kids that they're walking around the halls it reminds me of the old days that they're good kids and these coaches are working awfully hard to, to make them be winners. And the big thing is you got to have a little luck along the way, that's for sure. But this year they're finally beginning to play, Jimmy, as I call it, team football. They're doing things that the offense is doing things to help the defense the defense is doing things to help the offense, and when you have that going on, you can have some success. Did you see this coaching mentality coming with Jim Harbaugh when he was a player? Did you see him being a good coach later on? I, I didn't know uh, right at that time, but I did know this, that Jimmy studied football with me quite often. As you well know, a quarterback has to know everything. And the, the fact is that we spent so many hours sitting in a room with a film saying, okay, what's the defense? All right, what are they going to do out of this? What can you expect? And these are all things that you have to teach a quarterback. 
And he was very interested back in those days to make sure if I asked him a question that he gave me the right answer. So he studied it, and he studied it very hard. So it gave me an idea that he could have the possibilities of being a good football coach. Second to last question. You, as I've said to people, Dan Durdorf will say it as long as he's alive, and I know you were a great quarterback coach, but in the offensive line, you excelled. If you were able to coach me up, that I could start on a team that was 11 and 0. Let me, you oh. are, you are off the charts good because I was average at best. Now, the difference in offensive line play today and from the old days, all of us, John Jansen will be up in a little while. We don't like the way it's being played today. It's kind of like dancing. And, but that's the way the game has evolved. And I know you as an old offensive line coach, would like to see us go back to the future, if you will. Well, the one thing I started to say, if you ever thought I was not a good coach, then look at it. this guy here. I won, <laughs> I won Big Ten championships with him, so don't tell me I wasn't pretty good. <laughs> now, Jimmy was a heck of an athlete, and he did a lot of good things. But, yeah, what, what we were talking about was that I want to see us have offensive linemen who play with their knees bent. I think I used to say, well, I can't use the term, but we would, <laughs> we would say, if you don't start staying down low, I'm going to tie your uh, face mask to your knees and then you can't straighten out. That wasn't where I told them that time. But, <laughs> but anyway, the fact remains is that uh, you've got to play with your knees bent and you've got to stay lower than your opponents so that you have leverage to get movement and that you move quicker and always be hidden from a down-up position. They don't seem to teach it that way anymore. And that's not just Michigan. Every I look at everybody. They're all standing up and pushing and shoving. And you don't block with your arms and your shoulders. You make contact with that but you block with your legs. And so until you get back and do the, get your legs in a position that they can do something, I don't think they're going to be as good at moving the football. Nobody runs the football in college or in pro today. There aren't many running attacks that you see that are very consistent. Last question for Coach Hanlon, and this is the question I've wanted to ask, and I want you all to listen to it. And uh, listen to the answer, most importantly. Because uh, when coaches asked many times, uh, what do you think of this recruiting class? What do you think of this senior class? Coach Hanlon always says, what do I think of them? And tell them your answer. Ask me in about 25 years, because by then I'll know what kind of men they really were. When they come in here, they're young people who have to learn to grow. And if they don't take what given to them there at the University of Michigan, and they don't grow up to be good fathers, good husbands, good citizens, then we haven't done a very good job of recruiting. So that, to me, is what's most important. Jerry Halen, everybody. He is the best. He is a gem. We are glad he's here. He's a treasure from the University of Michigan. That's Jerry Hanlon. John, come on up. We're going to talk to John Jansen in a minute. First, I want to say welcome to the folks watching on my Facebook Live. Uh, great to have you along with us. And we feel free to send questions via the comment sections on Facebook Live. We are delighted uh, that you're with us. And, of course, join the crowd here at Carl's Cabin in Plymouth, one of the outstanding places to eat, one of the outstanding places to gather. I highly recommend the onion soup, and the Reuben fritters. <laughs> For 72 years, Sess and Lincoln Mercury has been proud to present the finest brand in the automotive industry, sold to the most discerning customers. And now, the superior style and elegance of Lincoln is offered in a personalized black label luxury experience featuring beautifully crafted designs and exclusive VIP membership privileges. Find out more by visiting Sessie Lincoln at 3990 Jackson Road in Ann Arbor or online at sessielincoln.com. Welcome, everybody. John Jansen to the stage. Now, going over Jansen, 
I, it's embarrassing. Be easy. Take it no, easy. No, no, it's, it's embarrassing. I was going over Jansen, and I know this stuff from my head, and then I looked him up. He was a tight end out of Clawson, Michigan. He started 50 games at Michigan. That's 50. That's more than I played in my career, and I didn't start any of them. He was a two-time captain at Michigan, member of the national championship team. He was the captain of that team and one of the few two-time captains in Michigan history. He was an All-American. He's in the Michigan Sports Hall of Flame. He is in the second-round pick of the National Football League with the Washington Redskins. He finished his career with the Lions. In an 11-year career in the NFL, was named All-Pro. And when he tore his Achilles one year in preseason, Joe Gibbs, the Super Bowl coach, told the media after the game, Ah, tough game today. We lost our best player. His right tackle. He considered his best player. That's John Jansen. <laughs> all the all the stuff he really wants to say is on the back of that piece That's of paper. Right. Um, <laughs> it's just exactly the way he wrote it up for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, John. Real quick, we got a question from out in the audience. We got about three or four of them, and this yeah. was the question: Elaine, Joe, Doug. And Gina all asked the same question, and that was, Karan Higdon kind of went out today and guaranteed a victory over Ohio State. Good, smart move. Uh, was he baited into it by the writer? What's your opinion? Well, I think he was baited into it a little bit, but uh, Karan's a big boy. And he had a choice to make, and he made the decision that uh, he was going to say, yeah, we're going to beat uh, Ohio State. And uh, as the captain of our football team, I got his back. So you're a high school kid at Clawson, Michigan. You're playing tight end. Well, you had to be the biggest tight end in the history of mankind. This guy's large, isn't he? I wasn't. How quite did you get to Ann Arbor? Yeah, well, yeah, you were. I was, well, I was big, but I was I was uh, an agile tight end. Agile. I like to use those definitions, agile. those those, those terms. That's, that, that's like me being light. On my feet. A fleet of foot. Yeah, yeah, fleet of foot. <laughs> so how'd you wind up in Michigan? Was it uh, Lloyd recruit you? Lloyd did. And uh, actually, uh, I played basketball a little bit in high school. And uh, my sophomore year, we, we played in the state semifinals in Chrysler Arena. And uh, that's the first time I had a chance to uh, meet Coach Carr. He had, had heard there was some some big kid that was running around a basketball court. He came over and saw me and started to recruit me after that. And, um, you know, they recruited me as a tight end. And he promised me that he would throw me the football. Then about a week into it, <laughs> I, I showed up in my locker, and we used to—you know—I was on the demo squad uh, my freshman year, practice squad. And um, in my locker was a, a seventy number, and I, I said, "Coach," I said, 70 numbers don't catch footballs." And he said, "Yeah, that dream is gone, son." <laughs> Did you know that that promise about catching the ball is the same thing when they say the checks in the mail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned that lesson early, and uh, so now I only uh, take cash in hand. That's a smart move on your part. <laughs> but you played tackle, and you got to learn how to play the offensive line, and now I would say you wouldn't I would play trade. any other no. position on the field that that was your first love ultimately. It was, and football was always my first love. I, I had a chance to – I could have played basketball or I, I could have gone into the, to, to the, the pro system as a, as a baseball player, but – Football was always my first love. And when Coach Moeller at the time came and, and after I had a, grown accustomed to my 70 number, uh, he, he, he asked me if I would move to tackle officially. Um, and I said, Coach, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to play tight end, and, but I said, I really just want to play. And I said, What's, what is going to be the quickest way for me to get on the field? And he said, you know, we've got a couple of guys that are banged up at tackle. And if you play spring at tackle, you, you know, you might have a chance to, to get on the field next year. And little did I know starting against uh, Virginia would be my first start, first of 50. And, um, all I wanted to do was, was contribute to wins. All I wanted to do was run out of the tunnel and know that I'd be able to play on the field. And whichever way I could get there is, is how I wanted to get there. We had a question about that Virginia game. That was Lloyd's, wasn't that Lloyd's first that was, game yeah. as a, when he was the head coach? Interim coach. Interim coach. Interim coach. He uh, got the, 
the label interim taken off after Purdue. Yeah, uh, actually, it's right before Purdue, and then we put together a great was it five, five three nothing, victory five, five three, nothing five nothing victory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're really supported. I was going to say <laughs> proved they, proved they, them right. Yeah, the athletic director afterwards said maybe that wasn't a smart <laughs> move, but anyway, Mercury Hayes caught the pass. You guys came back from a big deficit. You yeah. started fifty games, but here's the question: It's Michigan Ohio State week. When did you know? And believe me, folks, I know this. There's not a human on the planet that doesn't get a little bit tight, a little bit upset when you mention Ohio State than this guy. When did you know, when did it hit you, this was different? This game, I, I tell you what, when, when we, growing up, I knew that this was different. I had, I, I watched the Bose teams. I watched Mo's teams. Uh, and, and you always knew when you watched this game because up until, you know, what was it, 2010, 22 times this game has decided the actual champion of the Big Ten. Then they went to the Big Ten title game. And, uh, even after that, it's, this game decides who wins the Big Ten title. And it will this year as well because nobody, nobody's going to lose to Northwestern in that game. But when you look at this game and everything that it entails, when I had my first game was the 95 game, which Tamunga ran for 313 yards. You know, and you look around to the upperclassmen, and those are the guys that you learn from. And when the seniors and the juniors, they start talking to you about this game. And, and you know, as freshmen, you, you would tape your helmet up, uh, you know, red for, uh, you know, the, the Ohio game and, and green for the, the, that other game. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those games that, you know, it, when you walk in the team meeting room, they had the schedule on the, on the wall, and there were red-letter games, and that was Notre Dame, Michigan State, Ohio State. So already you knew that it was set apart from all the rest of the games. And, and it's just one of those games that you remember for the rest of your life, win or lose. And I only lost once, but I remember that loss just as much, probably even more, than I do the wins because it means so much to Michigan, Michigan men. And it had to feel extra special good. In 96, you went into Columbus and nobody gave you a chance. You were 21st in the country, the number two ranked team in the country, and Michigan wins. You're on that team. That, Mike Ken once told me, Mike Ken, the great tackle from way back when, that one of the great feelings he had in his entire career, and he went on to a 15 year career in Atlanta playing for the Falcons. He came off the field. And Michigan had a 23 to nothing lead. And he said, you know, I didn't hear anything. It was quiet. He said, that was the best quiet I've ever heard in Ohio Stadium. <laughs> yeah. And in 96, you come and upset them. Big pass from, from Brian Greasy to Ty Streets. Streets on the slant cut. Yep. And then the defense held you in. That had to be as good as it gets. It, it was. And, and two moments from that game. The, the pass from Brian Greasy to, uh, uh, Ty Streets, uh, to start the second half, to take the 13 to nine lead. Um, and, and I played with Sean Springs with the Redskins a little bit later. And, and, and obviously when you, when you, when these guys do become your teammates in the NFL, you, you like to remind them of, of what happened when they were on the field. And, oh, do and, and, you and really? He, uh, he always used to say, Oh, I slipped. And I said, Well, Ty Streets didn't have any problem with the turf. You know, and, uh, but at the end of the game, you know, they, they had a, a, a linebacker named Andy Katzenmore. They used to call him the big cat. And we ran drive in Plymouth, which was our counterplay drive to the right, Plymouth to the left. And when we ran it to the left, I, it was back when you used to pull the guard and tackle. And I got a chance to pull around. And every time we pulled around, there was a big cat standing right in the hole. And we salted away the clock. I think there was eight minutes left on the clock, eight and a half minutes left on the clock. And we ended that game in victory formation, gaining first downs and taking away the clock, giving Ohio State no chance. And it, and it was. It was dead silent that whole time. And, and we started that drive, and they were loud and they were crazy, but they knew halfway through that drive they weren't going to stop us. The game was over, and we were going to win. You can see it in their eyes, can't you? You can, and, and, and you can see it. You know, that's one of the greatest things about being an offensive lineman is when you look across and, and you can tell that the defense knows exactly what play you're going to run and where you're going to run it. And, and the Iowa game that same, uh, the year after, 97, Jared DeVries, who played for the Lions for a long time, a uh, good friend of mine, we were, we were playing against each other in that game. And it was a, a drive much the same at the end of the game. We were running the same play, drive. And he, he would tell his guys, hey, they're, they're running the counter. They're running right here. And I said, you're damn right we are, and you can't stop it. <laughs> it's a great feeling to have. 
I was going to say, and on the... Uh, and the following year, the roles were reversed. In 97, you were unbeaten. You were ranked number one in the country, coming off a huge win over Penn State. And Ohio State had lost a couple of games. So it was their year to spoil Michigan's fun. And, and the iconic thing in that game was when Charles Woodson and David Boston got into that pushing match and that was early. Yeah. And man, that set the tone, didn't it? Yeah. Charles helmet came off and he wasn't backing down. And, and it was, there were so many moments in that game and it was, and, and, and to this day, and I played 11 years in the NFL, that was the most physical game I played in, in my entire football career. Uh, and that's what this game brings out. It is a fist fight. It is a backyard brawl. It is everything that you would want it to be because there is so much pride at stake that, you know, and we could say whatever we want about Ohio State, but they have a lot of great players down there. And when you have two programs with great tradition and great players and they match up every year and you know exactly when it's going to be, it's, it's absolute magic. People that I've talked to have played in the NFL, guys that have played, Jim Mandich, he played on the 1972 Miami Dolphins that went unbeaten and won a Super Bowl. And Mandich said, you will never, ever match the emotion in any game that you play the rest of your life in professional football that you have in a Michigan-Ohio State game. Tell people how that comes about, where you are when you come out of that tunnel. I, I tell you what, when you come out of the tunnel, and you know, first of all, you know it's a, uh, until this Big Ten championship game, it was the last game of the year. So there was nothing to save anything for. You were selling out on every play, every chance that you had. Um, and it, it, it is. It's the most emotional game that you'll be a part of. At the beginning of the game, everybody is flying high. But that emotion in a lot of games will wane off a little bit as you get into the X's and O's of, of the football game. In, in the Michigan and Ohio State game, that emotion is as high in the fourth quarter as it is at the, at the first snap. And that is when you get done with the game, not only are you physically tired, but you are emotionally drained. And that is, that's everything that, that Michigan and this football game is all about. When you have that feeling, and I mean, I've had it, you, you don't really realize what it's like to be a dish rag after three and a half, four hours of nothing but physical, nastiness and contact and concentration and focus. And when you're done, you just want to sit in a corner and, and I mean, you have the great elation if you win, but you also have that you're just done. Yeah. And, and after that game too, I mean, it was, you were so physically and emotionally spent, but it, we had just gone undefeated. And we had, we had all run up to the locker room like we normally do. We sang the victors and somebody came in and said, Hey, the, you know, nobody's leaving the stadium. So we, we ended up coming back down and we sang the victors over in front of us. You had a curtain call. We had a curtain call. Yes. And, and so we sang the victors in front of the students. And the great thing about Michigan, and, and I've said this many times, it's the people that make Michigan so special. And, you know, it, it's like now with, with Ward Manuel as our athletic director, Jim Harbaugh as our head coach. It's the people because when you come back to Michigan, I look in the stands and I see most of the same faces. And the only way that people don't come to the games is if they physically can't. And, and they pass their tickets on to their family. And, and so you get a chance to the, – the, what makes Michigan so special is the history that's carried on from the families that are in the stands. It's Jerry Hanlon. It, yeah, it's Jerry Hanlon, and, and, and I'm hoping to pass that on uh, to my kids that, that are here tonight. you got two daughters here. Tell us who they I are. I do. Uh, we got uh, Lucy, who's 12 years old. She's in seventh grade, and uh, Ruby, who's uh, 11 years old, is sixth grade, and we, I just got their report cards. I'm happy to report they were all A's. All right. All right, John, let's get to this year's team. Question from out in the audience, Denise and Chuck from Canton. In your opinion, what's making Jim Harbaugh such a good coach? I think it's, you know, when you talk about a great football team, and Jim talks about this, he talked about it today in his press conference, that this is a very close team, that when heap is, or praise is heaped on Karan Higdon, he talks about the offensive line. When they talk about Devin Bush, he talks about his defensive line or the secondary. They're, they're quick to pass accolades around, and it comes from what he has done in the offseason. And, and there's been a lot of talk and a lot of grumbling about you know, these trips to Paris and trips to Rome. And those are, are times when 
the players get to see each other outside of football and they get to see their coaches in a different light. You know, they're, they're not just going over X's and O's in the meeting rooms. They're not just, you know, yelling at them on the practice field or on the game field, but they get to see them as family men. They get to see them as, as fathers, as, as friends. Um, and that I really think is what we're seeing pay off now is, is the camaraderie that this team has and the way that they fight for each other, the way they fight for their coaches, um, is, is tremendous. And I, and I think that's where this, the growth of this program since Jim Harbaugh has been here is, is really paying off. Let's look at this weekend's game. What do you think? I mean, Michigan's defense is best in the country. Uh, their pass offense is off the charts. I mean, the guy's got 36 touchdown passes. Oh, the look on your face tells me that you don't really care. I don't really care because it's not about what Ohio State does. And it's never about what the other team does. It's about what Michigan does. Michigan has the number one defense in the country. We've got the number one pass defense in the country. We're, we're the number one team in the Big Ten in five defensive categories. There, when I look on paper and I say, okay, how does, how does Ohio try to compete with Michigan this year? And I look at... Michigan's ability to run the football. And I say, okay, you know, especially without Nick Bosa, they, they can't stop us. And they've given up, I think it's 22 plays of, of 25 yards or more. We have that ability now to create those big plays. So that checks that box. Then you look at Shea Patterson and, and, and the, the weapons that he has downfield and Nico Collins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black is back. And um, you've got uh, Zach Gentry at tight end. We want to talk about a matchup nightmare. You throw a ball to a six eight guy. There's nobody that can cover him. Uh, and we saw Sean McCune uh, get in the end zone. Uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Nick Eubanks get in the end zone uh, last week. So offensively, I don't see how this Ohio State defense can slow us down. And then when you put their offense on the field, yeah, Dwayne Haskins is thrown for a lot of touchdowns. But since the Purdue game, he has struggled to throw the football. They have a leadership void. They, they, they've put so many guys over the last few years out early in, in terms of the defensive backs that they've had. And they've had great players, but they don't have the leadership on defense. And you need leadership in this game. Their, their captain, Nick, uh, Nick Bosa, decided that he wanted to go and, and work on his NFL career. And, and he left his guys hanging. Whether he was going to play or not, you're the captain of this team. They don't have that leadership that Michigan has. And when you talk about our captains, Karan Higdon, uh, Devin Bush, uh, Ben Bredesen, big offensive lineman. Love having offensive lineman <laughs> captain. Uh, Tyree Kinnell. We've got leadership that has led this team from the loss in South Bend to recover. And then, you know, you mentioned the Virginia game. Northwestern. We came back from 17 points down at halftime. We hadn't scored a point. We were 17 nothing at halftime and they came back. It was the biggest comeback in Michigan football history. And when you look at, all of the things that this team has done and, and the, the players that we have, Rashawn Gary goes down. And all of a sudden, we find Josh Uche, who leads the team in sacks now. There is no way that this Ohio State offense can move the football. Against Purdue, they had to throw the ball 73 times. They've got two backs in, in J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber that are really good football players. But they don't have an offensive line that can block for them. So... When you talk about this game, we win the trenches up front offensively, up front defensively. That's where this game is going to be won, and we have that advantage. John Jansen, everybody. John, by the way, after, after his playing career, John's now involved in broadcasting. He's a co-host with me on Inside Michigan Football, the TV show, which you can watch on Channel 7, Sunday mornings at 1030, but also has his own podcast called In the Trenches. Tell us who you have this week. Uh, this week we got Captain Ben Bredesen um, on, on the offensive side of things. And uh, defensively, we're still working on, uh, on who we're going to get. But uh, the, the great thing about this team and, and what I get to do now is I'm around them every day. And so when I get a chance to talk to the players, they, they open up and they tell us some great stories. And, and they talk about, you know, not just about being a, an athlete and playing football, but they talk about their lives as students. And uh, it's been a lot of fun to, to have these guys. I think, actually, um, when I was walking in here, we got Carlo Kemp. Uh, we're going to have him. And, and, talk about a great story. Oh, phenomenal. Nobody and, knew who Carlo Kemp was, and yet he – decides that he's going to become a player. They insert him in the interior of that defense. All he does is uh, make it just as like Brian Monet wasn't there yeah. or Aubrey Solomon didn't get hurt. 
It's amazing when you have that kind of rotation. Yep. Where can people find your podcast? Uh, you can find it at mgoblue.com uh, and, and really wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple or Google or Spotify. We just got on Spotify today, so it's, uh, it's really wherever you get your podcast, you can find it in the trenches. Thank you, John, very well. Thanks Great for job. Having me. Bob Thornblade is next. Bob Thornblade, former Michigan coach, former Michigan player. Hey, thanks to everybody out there on Facebook Live for watching. Feel free to send your questions in via the comments section. Also, remind everybody, for 72 years, Sessie Lincoln has been proud to represent the finest brand in the automotive industry, sold to the most discerning customers. And now the superior style and elegance of Lincoln is offered in a personalized black label luxury experience featuring beautifully crafted designs, and exclusive VIP membership privileges. Find out more by visiting Sessy Lincoln at 3990 Jackson Road in Ann Arbor or online at sessilincoln.com. Say hello, everybody, to Bob Thornblade. It's nice to see so many friends here and a few people I don't like. But uh, there's a woman I love here who doesn't like me, but I'm pleased to say my wife Tina is with me. Tina! good friend... Also, we have, uh, we should recognize Vince DeFelice. Rich from, Hewlett is out and, there. Rich Hewlett, Rich Hewlett, player. Rich Hewlett's out here. We have a band, uh, we're a band of brothers, and um, Jared Wangler, of course, is one of my favorite players, and my other favorite player is Joey Hewlett. So if you enjoy special teams, and you should, and you want to watch an intense guy, and you want to see where the action is, you follow number 27, Joey Hewlett. I cannot tell you how proud I am. Joe Hewlett. And my, his father, of course, is my attorney, and he's going to visit with Jimmy afterwards and, and negotiate my fee. I hope there's a stipend here. Now, I want to start with my joke. So, Coach Schembechler, who we lost... Wait a second, okay? Real no. quickly? No. no I'm not, I'm Hi, not everybody, done. and welcome to the Blade Show. <laughs> so, Coach Schembechler, who we lost 12 years ago in a few days, and we miss him every day, he decided that he wanted to assemble some of the Michigan players up there, and he went to St. Peter, and he said, I want to play Ohio State. And uh, St. Peter says, well, you know, Woody's not up here. He said, well, can you give him a day pass? <laughs> so he gave Coach Hayes a day pass, and Coach Hayes showed up. Well, it was three or four deep with all those great Michigan men that, uh, that had their just reward, and they were in heaven. And Coach Hayes showed up without a team. He said, Coach, I can't feel a team. None of my men made it up here. So there you go, Ohio State. Now that most people laugh at that story, <laughs> but oh, the Ohio now, State now, guys. And now not. it's the Brandy Show all of a sudden. Are you done? Was uh, that, that your was opening Ohio State was, joke? I was going to say, was that your opening gambit? <laughs> well, the good, there's good Michigan men up there, and Coach Shepard has a team waiting, but Coach Hayes can't feel the team. That, None of his guys made the, it up there. Yeah, this is the story I got. That one time Coach Hayes had a guy that was academically ineligible or close. And he needed him to play the game. And so they took him into an academic counselor. And the academic counselor said, look, if you can answer this question, we'll make you eligible and you can play next week. Okay? Coach Hayes is right there. And he tells the kid, come on. Come on. You can do it. This is going to be easy. You can do it. So the guy says to the kid, okay, spell cat. And the kid goes, C- no, no, no. C-A-T. And Coach Hayes goes, no, wait, give him another chance. <laughs> and I just, I just spilled my coat, but that's okay. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention a few things about the rivalry. I was now, wait a minute. I'm not done with you. I was introduced. I get this. I no, get this is my show. I want to say this about it's you. Called, no, no. I want to say this about you and Hanlon. So I was introduced to the rivalry in 1969. That unbelievable Just get away from me. This unbelievable game where Coach Hanlon and, uh, and I should say this about Jerry, there are a lot of guys that coach football at the University of Michigan. Some of them had the title of head coach. But there are very few men that have distinguished themselves the way Jerry Hanlon did. That is and fact. that's an all of coaching. And I'm talking about anything. Jerry's one of the great coaches, and, he, and we revere and love him. And although he never had the title of uh, offensive coordinator, uh, you know, he, he, he was the architect of those offenses that dominated uh, the opponent under Coach Schembechler. And uh, people should know that. And uh, I had the great pleasure and, and, and uh, honor 
to play when Jerry was coaching and also to coach with him. And, and I love him dearly, and, and uh, I'm gratified that he's doing so well, and he's one of the great coaches ever, to, ever in the history of the game. Truly is. So in 1969, I had that wonderful game, and Barry Pearson, my great friend, runs for three interceptions and, and, and takes two punts inside the five. But uh, my fondest memory, my first introduction as a player is my sophomore year, when Ohio State, uh, Coach Hayes, you know, they were up 7-3, and if you remember, uh, that doggone uh, Hicks came out and tore our banner down, that son of a gun Hicks, who became a great friend of mine. I know, I was going to, that was one of the things I was going to ask you about, but go ahead. And I love, a, I love John doing, Hicks. No, you're doing all right by yourself. And I feel so strongly about John Hicks that uh, my children and my grandchildren will know who John Hicks was, because he was an extraordinary man and a dear friend of mine. Well, anyway, in that game, Ohio State was ahead 7-3. And Michigan under Tom Slade was marching down the field when I was a sophomore. And as we marched down the field, we called a power sweep. Now, the hard thing about a power sweep is the offensive line has to hold the blocks for a long time. It's not a quick hitter. And the critical block in that play is that the offensive tackle hooks the defensive tackle. Because if the defensive tackle gets upfield, you have no play. So our offensive tackle, one of the great leaders of that team, hooked their defensive tackle. Tom Slade pitched the ball back to Billy Taylor, and Fritz made a great block on the corner, and we scored a touchdown and went 10-3, and that offensive tackle was Jim Brandstatter. (laughs) And I will will tell you this, because we joke a lot about Brandy, is I look back on the great leaders, the guys who really impacted me as a sophomore. There was a wonderful player named Glenn Dowdy, who I loved dearly. Uh, Reggie McKenzie is a sensational man, and he's inspiring. And um, if you're ever around him, uh, he's a man, his passion and love for Michigan is infectious. Uh, and he's one of the great apostles uh, for Michigan. And Jim Brandstatter. Jim Brandstatter was, uh, was liked by his players, respected, loved. But he also had, uh, was able to get uh, in front of the team and make us laugh. Because Schenbeckler didn't make us laugh a lot. We were, we were frightened, but Jimmy was a great leader. And um, and we still that team has remained very close. We have that seventy one team was exceptional. Uh, you were a sophomore on that team, but Blade, you have an interesting and unique perspective in the fact that you played for Bo for three years, and then you wound up in that meeting room with him as an assistant coach. How was that for you in that transition? Because all you know, all of a sudden, from the fear of God as a player, you're now going up to him, tell him, hey. We need to do this in order to win. No, I had to fear got him as a coach also. <laughs> I mean, who wasn't afraid of him? And, uh, uh, well, Jerry was in there. And Jerry, you know, Bo, one of the great things about Bo is people don't recognize this, but Bo liked, uh, he wanted to hear your opinion. And, and of course, Jerry and him, you know, it was like a PhD in football. Because when you got Schembechler and Hanlon talking about the nuances of offensive line play, you know, you get a PhD. Those guys knew more than anybody. And one of the great one of the great things to digress for a minute, and I talk about halftime adjustments. You digress for a minute? How about a half an hour? <laughs> when you talk about halftime adjustments, many times the outcome of the game is decided at halftime. And sometimes it's a very small adjustment. And there was nobody better at it, nobody, than Hanlon and Schembechler. They knew what was happening. They could come down and make the adjustment. And, and, and almost always it resulted in victory for I'll us. give you a great example of that. And this was a pregame plan. We played Michigan State in 1971, and they had two big tackles, defensive tackles. Uh, Ron Joseph and Ron Curl. And these guys were outstanding players. All-American okay? Ron Curl. Yeah, all-American. And we had a plan, and Jerry told both myself and Jimmy Cood, who were the other tackles, look, if we run inside, we want you to get an outside release. Just go outside. Don't try to block them. Just get an outside release. Because they would read us. And knew when we tried to hook them and get outside of them, we were running the power sweep. And so I said, Coach, don't we have to block these guys? They're all Americans. We're going to run inside them. He says, no, just, just do this. So we did it, and we busted them up inside all day long with our fullback because their defensive tackles were following us. We influenced them to stay wide, and the interior of that defense was wide open for our fullbacks. Bob Thornblade was one of them. <laughs> well, I had the great privilege and honor of playing for Coach Schembechler and, of course, coaching for him. And, and people should know this about him. He was an enlightened guy, and he was fun to be with. He was charismatic. And when you played for him and you coached for him, uh, you really saw 
he was one of those guys who wanted his affirmation. And, and you, wanted, uh, you wanted him, to, uh, one word from him could make or break you, as you know. And so he had great command. He had command of his team. He had command of the game. Uh, he had a wonderful group of men around him. All these guys from Miami, Ohio, Miami of Ohio, like Jerry, who were committed to coaching and believed in his profession. And, and when Jerry talked about where you are 25 years later, that's how they looked at it. Because they wanted to get young men to bring them to Michigan. You were going to win. And we were going to win. And there was no substitute for winning. And we were going to do what was required to win. And we were going to dedicate ourselves and focus. At the same time, you were going to get a degree in your chosen field. And they wanted your greatest successes, not to come out and, uh, in front of a field of 100,000 people, cheering people. They wanted your greatest successes to come when you're 30, 40, 50 years old in the community uh, with your kids and also as a representative of the university. And so that's how they all looked at it. And I want to say uh, this as we look backwards. Uh, I want to talk about Jimmy for a minute. Because I've known Jimmy Harbaugh since he's been nine years old, and of course Jerry coached him. I think in many ways this might be Jimmy, and he took a team to the Super Bowl, his greatest year of coaching. I think he made some very difficult decisions about the staff before the season. And, and he let a man go that was a close friend of his, Coach Streveno. And I think there's been marked improvement. He also had enough security and confidence himself that he brought in a man like McElwain, who was extraordinary, the guy who was coaching our receivers. And then he has Brown over there, and he's smart enough to give Brown, you know, the latitude and empowered him so he can lead this great defense. So I think Jimmy's done this extraordinary job. When you hire a coach, typically you say, you know, he doesn't get the job because everything's going well most often. Uh, you say, you know, we want to win this thing. We want to get respectability. We want to vie for the championship in the third year, and we want to win it in the fourth. And I, we should note that these seniors – Although we have a lot of great fifth-year seniors that Brady brought here. And they're doing an extraordinary job. And the success of this team is a result, I think, of the leader, senior leadership. Winovich and, and Higdon and all these kids, they're wonderful kids. And they play hard. And they play as a team. And Jerry talked about it, the it factor. So I think that Jimmy, who brought these kids in four years ago, this is the culmination of that. And, you know, we had that what the, uh, signing of the stars, which I didn't like a lot. I wasn't a big fan of it. Because <laughs> Bo said after we sign him, don't talk to him for a month. We're <laughs> going to de-recruit him. We don't want him to think they're any good. But he had the signing of the stars, which I was against. But now this is the fruition of all that. And so it's been extraordinary. And I believe that he's put together a great staff. Also, although my memory only goes back to the Western Michigan game, I don't remember the Notre Dame game. I've eradicated that from my memory. I think they responded to that. And I think they came together as a staff, and I think now they're doing what the team can do. Uh, they're understanding. I think it's a, I, I think the, the offensive staff has coalesced, and I think they've come to da- together. And Jimmy, I think, is taking the best ideas of the collective group of men who have all this vast experience uh, with the influence of Coach Hanlon. And don't think he's not influential. Don't think we don't run the ball because he, because Hanlon told Harbaugh, it's better to be second and five than second and ten after an incomplete pass. Remember that. And you're, you'll be a call a lot better player. So I just think it's been an extraordinary year. Uh, I, I feel strongly uh, about oh, you, this you team. Oh, you do, yeah. I, 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 can I, can I? There's a, there's a great... There's you have a, a question? Yeah. <laughs> One of the iconic moments of this rivalry you were involved in, and you had an experience with it that later on, after it all happened, in 1973, there was a 10-10 tie. And Bo Schembechler was not allowed to take that team to the Rose Bowl because Dennis Franklin had broken his collarbone, and the Big Ten athletic directors voted against Michigan going. Even though Michigan and Ohio State wound up with a 10-0-1 equal record, and Ohio State had gone the year before. Well, if you remember, I think... Now, wait a minute. I'm not done. You were on that team. Bo was livid, and he was livid for what reason? The kids. He felt they were getting short shrifted by the Big Ten athletic directors, and that was why he was mad. Well, we had that antiquated rule where only one team could go to a bowl game, and it was a Rose Bowl. And our focus was, of course, to win a Western Big Ten Conference to go to the Rose Bowl, and there was nothing better, and there was no greater accomplishment, and there wasn't. There's nothing like that experience. 
So anyway, uh, you know, they voted against us, and of course, uh, Coach Schembechler was really am- animated. I think at that time, maybe Ohio State was number one, we were number four, Alabama and Notre Dame were uh, two and three, and then Notre Dame went down, and they beat Alabama, I think, the Cotton Bowl, and they became number one, but... Ohio State went out and beat the heck out of USC. They did. And, and but honestly, many of these teams in, no, in no, the no, league. No, let me just get one thing in. In the league. In, yeah, I know, in the league. But 18 years later, I interviewed Bo for the Bo Schembechler years, the videotape. And he said to me then, and I mean, he meant it. You knew when his eyes got a little squinty and he bowed his neck and he looked at me and he goes, and they sent Ohio State and I will be bitter about that decision well, until the day I die. Jimmy, he, now, he told the team. He came in and told the team. He thanks, said, Blake. men. <laughs> he told the team, and, and Jim knows this because he became, and, and one of the great things that happened, Bo and, and Jim became very close at the end of Bo's life. And Jim became more than his ex-player, a great friend of, of Coach Schembechler. But he told the team that, men, I promise you, I promise you, that those schools that voted against us will live to regret it, and we shall never forget that they voted against us, Burt Smith at Michigan State University. And so about 12 years later, I'm coaching, and Bo says, men, we're going to get these sons of bitches. They voted against us. And the kids would look at me and say, what are you talking about? I said, well, they made the old man mad. They said, well, if they made the old man then we're mad, we're going to get them. And he never he mentioned it every... Every school that voted against us, when we played them, when he coached, he mentioned it every time. He never forgot it. And that was his vow to us. And he did not forget it. But because we had those great teams, many schools subsequently and lesser teams have been able to go to bowl games, which I think has been a wonderful thing. So although we got denied the privilege to go, and I regret it, uh, I think it served a purpose. And that's one of the great things, one of the great accomplishments. And Coach Schembechler and Jerry and those guys uh, made Wayne Duke uh, aware of their unhappiness. I can assure you of that. Thank Bob Thornblade. This that was special, Blade. That, that, ladies and gentlemen, was special. I mean, and it's special for me. Um, I've talked to Blade over adult beverages on many, many occasions. And it has gone the same way. And I thought if we put a microphone in front of him, it would change. Boy, was I dumb. Bob Thornblade, one of the real delights. And As I go through this and the three guests we had this evening, the one thing that was the common denominator with all of them and all of you here at Carl's Cabin tonight is passion. Passion for Michigan. That's why this is the greatest university on a planet and the greatest football program in America. Passion that it engenders in its former players and former coaches and fans. And all of you who came to Carl's Cabin tonight, thank you for being here for the Brandy Show. Real quickly... I want to make sure the guys at Sessy Lincoln are happy. <laughs> They're proud to represent the finest brand in the automotive industry, sold to the most discerning customers. Now the superior style and elegance of Lincoln is offered in a personalized black label luxury experience featuring beautifully crafted designs and exclusive VIP membership privileges. Find out more by visiting Sessy Lincoln at 3990 Jackson Road in Ann Arbor or online at sessylincoln.com. Thanks for being here. For the Brandy Show, everybody. Don't forget, this weekend, high noon, Columbus, Ohio, Jansen, Deardorff, Karsh, and myself will have the Michigan-Ohio State bloodletting when the Wolverines knock off the Buckeyes at the Big Mock. As I call it, the Big Mausoleum in Columbus. And uh, we're on radio at WWJ News Radio 950 for that broadcast. If you come across our Facebook page, and by the way, folks who are watching on Facebook Live on my page, thanks very much. If you come across my page, like it, and follow us on at Jim Brandstatter. On Twitter. Yeah, we're on Twitter, too. 
Make sure you watch Inside Michigan Football with John Jansen and I, Sunday mornings, 1030 on Channel 7. Special thanks to Podcast Detroit. Give them a big round of applause. They made sure we got on and off, and the Facebook thing was working, and the uh, PA was working. And thanks to the Zing Media Group, Kathleen Stevens and Brad Hero. Thanks, guys. They helped put it together. Thanks to my associate producer, Robbie Timmons, who's more important than I am. And this is going to be the best finish of any show I've ever done. They call me Mr. Timmons. And this has been The Brandy Show.